We want to welcome all of our listeners to the 10th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Today we've got Amir Talai from AdSlot. Let's jump in and get to know Amir. Amir, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Amir, tell us uh, a little bit about what you're doing right now. What, uh, what are you doing for work and how are you staying busy during the day? Absolutely. I, uh, currently, I, I head up uh, client success for North America for AdSlot. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with AdSlot, but uh, we are, uh, we're, uh, we're in, uh, kind of a conjunction of a couple of things, but we're an automated guaranteed or programmatic guaranteed solution, but uh, three different buckets, which is uh, you have this order system or a digital I.O. Um, in tandem with a programmatic guaranteed or automated guaranteed solution. And the last element is addressability of data. Uh, so we bring these three buckets together, um, and that's one of our primary products, and that's what um, I essentially head up the client success for North America currently for. Great, great. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, though. Tell us about uh, where you're from, uh, culture, identity. Absolutely. So... You know, I'm I'm actually first generation Persian American. My my father immigrated in the '70s, and we have this thing where we're always talking about well, we're Persian versus Iranian. So uh, if you don't know the distinction, uh, it's actually kind of an e- egotistical element where we like <laughs> to emphasize. You know, I'm Persian. So uh, Persian per, kind of tied in with the Persian history. So. Uh, there's a number of different kind of uh, cultures that are out there that have been around for thousands of years, and uh, Persian, the Persian civilization has been around for, and is recognized in that. So it's a way to kind of pat the back and have the ego. <laughs> yeah, there you, you know, go. So, so, yeah. where, uh, so where are you from? Like, where where'd you grow up, and and uh, what do you, where, where do you live now? Just tell us about uh, where, where where you grew Absolutely. up. Absolutely. So uh, so my my father immigrated as he's a physician, uh, and he uh, immigrated and did his residency at Boston University, and so. My sister was born in Boston. I was born in Waterbury, Connecticut. And we moved along the Eastern Corridor and then eventually uh, wound up in uh, what is Northeastern Ohio, Akron, Ohio. So, I, I mean, I've got all kinds of memories of all these different things. But uh, we moved to Ohio in the early 80s. And, um, you know, I got to do a hat tip to to the Browns and the Cavs. I mean, uh, and we, we mentioned this a little bit before, but, you know, if you're from the local area in northeastern Ohio, you literally bleed, believe land. I mean, there's something to the culture about it. And if, if you know much things about Akron outside of just the franchises, it is the former rubber capital of the world. So you had what was this tire industry that essentially died off, you know, toward, you know late, 80, late 70s and early 80s. It starts to slow down. And then some of the other industries that are associated or connected with it start to slow down. So outside of just the failures of the franchises, you have what is the economy, which, which essentially changed. So Believe Land drives more than just watching, say, Michael Jordan shoot a, free, shoot a shot over Craig Elo or seeing Bernie Kosar throw an interception or Ernest Binder, you know, fumble the ball. There's so much more to it. And, uh, that's why a lot of us get a little bit emotional when we see a hashtag from LeBron James that says uh, "just a kid from Akron." You know, we got, we have that in <laughs> us. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, grew up in 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 Akron uh, for most of my my childhood through my young adult uh, adult life. Um, went to college up there um, and got my my master's in business over there. And um, yeah, and so so now you you bleed digital. 
though, right? And so I, how, did you get, how did you get into digital? I, I bleed digital. You know what? I would almost describe it as I bleed I bleed media. Um, there's a love of media. And there's something that actually is interesting about being a first-generation American. It's like, so in my household, we actually didn't have newspapers in my household. We didn't have any newspaper subscriptions. Maybe other, other immigrant families did, but mine didn't. But as you, as I started to go, I went to a, an actual, actually a Jesuit high school, Walsh Jesuit, and um, as I went through high school, you know, this is pre-Starbucks expanding across the, you know, making sure it's on literally every corner across the U.S. Um, you had a lot of these like mom and pops kind of coffee shops that are along the way, and you know, I'm in high school and. You know, we like to be rebels, so, you know, you'd go get a cup of coffee and you'd get a pack of cigarettes and you'd be sitting there, you know, having coffee and smoking cigarettes, acting like you're, you know, whatever, you know. And on every different coffee table, there was like a stack of subscriptions of, of either the Times, the Journal, the Beacon, the Plain Dealer, you know, in any other magazine, Time Magazine, Newsweek. And so, you know, in my household where I didn't have access to it, now I'm sitting there and... I'd slowly start to digest it. So this, these secondhand reads of like all these subscriptions, I started going in. So love the op-ed pieces and the like. And you know, this is where this real love of media came about. So you know, I've I've really had a kind of a uh, just a fascination with it. I think in terms of the digital aspects, is seeing this you know media being distributed and channeled through in all these different fashions and. When we talk about the advertising side and, of course, the programmatic side, it's it's another level to it. It's like you know we see how the evol- the space has evolved and so forth. But all of that's really exciting, you know, to yeah. play a part in it. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the the space evolving, uh, what excites you most about the future of the of the space? Absolutely. You know, it there's there's this interesting thing when we think about the the exchange. Um, of value mm. that takes place between media and advertising. And before, if you think 15, 20 years ago, when we had these traditional like ad sales efforts across, say, print newspapers or, or traditional television ad sales and the like, um, and radio within the traditional media space, it was about producing great content and having a branded audience. Mm. Um, and then, you, of course, you had that ad sales effort and, and the management of it, and that went through to help you know, service what would be that positive feedback loop. What we see now, I guess what we've seen over the last, say, 10 years within the scope of where you define the expansion of programmatic advertising is, is that that exchange, that value exchange, has become a bit easier for the publisher side mm. and a bit, quote-unquote, more complex. What's exciting to me is seeing this evolution take place. Now, we've moved from what would be the beginnings of kind of like programmatic advertising where it's mainly RTB, open RTB and the like, and then you saw what would be an expansion into PMP and the like. Um, now, as, it, as we head into 2019, what really excites me about this coming year is, is seeing that expansion of what would be more of these preferred deals and private marketplace deals and more programmatic guaranteed. So seeing the premium value associated with an audience truly met. Uh, because that I feel while we created a value exchange that was somewhat automated and easier for the publisher, the true value of that audience still wasn't met. And uh, what excites me is the possibility of actually attaining that. And it's, it's a, I'm a bit of an idealist, but, you know, uh, you know I, I do hope, uh, I hope it comes about. 
Gotcha, gotcha. What do you uh, what do you read or, or follow to stay informed, up to date on what's going on in the space? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think there's a just the garden variety mix of different things there. Um, you know, ad exchanger to uh, CMO and WSJ, uh, Digiday, Ad Age, Ad Week. So. I mean, there are there's particular aspects to ad tech that you're always paying attention to, but your feeler is always paying attention to what's happening in the market. Yeah. Uh, so when different things happen, when a lawsuit happens in Europe associated with Google, you're paying attention to it. Um, I think it's really just about like keeping your your feelers out there because because it could come in a number of different ways. But naturally, like anything, I think one aspect of of LinkedIn that I think is ex- is exceptional is it, it. I feel it really. Despite any criticisms, I still feel it really plays its role in the niche audience that it mm-hmm. services. Uh, I've got my own criticisms associated with Facebook. I won't, you know, <laughs> I won't, I won't have, be too heavy with it. And I don't think the industry is any. It's. I don't think it's so substantially easy that anybody can go in and fix anything immediately themselves. But I do applaud what LinkedIn has become because. For me, I see the true value in what it does, and gotcha. and my feelers are always up. So I'm reading what people are posting, I'm, and then I'm playing the, you know, the connect the dots to find well, what's what's the next thing associated with that particular story? What's yep. coming, and how does it relate to me? How does it relate with ad slot? How does it relate to the landscape? Gotcha. Okay, getting back to you a little bit, and on on a sort of personal uh, note, right? What are you most uh, proud of in terms of your accomplishments throughout your career? That's interesting. I mean, you know, I guess in one regard, I would say that uh, coming to New York was kind of an interesting thing. Mm. Um, when you graduate from college, and you're, I'm from Northeastern Ohio, it's like, you know, it's, we had a group, we called them the Dirty Dozen. It was, it was 12 guys, you know, literally that we graduated with. And uh, it was our crew, you know, and we always kind of like, you know, we hung out, we did a bunch of different things together. Out of that crew, uh, still a large portion of them, probably about six, six, five or six guys, they stayed in town. And then there were like six guys that went different places. And, and you'd probably say that I was probably the last person anybody expected to leave New York, uh, Akron, but even much more so to go to New York. And if you told me that was going to be where I ended up, I would have told you that that's the last place that I would have ended up. I think that one of the things that I find somewhat, this might sound somewhat simplistic, but to end up in this town, to actually, like, if you're not from here, to come in this town and battle it out over the cl- course of the time frame that I did, mm-hmm. I think it's, for me, looking back, it's kind of it's somewhat admirable. And the way people ask me, they say, "Well, how do you end? It? How do you like it? How do you know? What was? What were some of the aspects about it? Like, what, what made you succeed? What what made you stay? What mm-hmm. made you not leave?" And ultimately, I said, "You know, if you come to this town and you're here for about a year or so, if the city doesn't smack you around too hard." Then, it, just like anything, you can't see yourself ever leaving. So, I go, I go to Akron and I visit my friends. I go to San Francisco, visit different friends, and we got our different kind of conferences that we go to across the year, different places across the U.S. and the like. And I'm there for three, four days, and I get that New York itch, and I'm like, dude, you know, I gotta get back. <laughs> completely, completely, absolutely. We uh, we often ask, you know, our guests about the industry and how it's evolving. Um, with regards to you know diversity and inclusion, um, how have you seen it sort of progress over the past few years? It's interesting. I you know I think you're. There, I look. At, I have my own kind of take on it. I think that 
when you think about diversity that takes place within the workplace, there's naturally the the representation that you'd like to see in terms of diversity. I th- I think it more it's it starts it starts right in the head. It starts with the mental aspect. I mm. see because there's certain aspects I see it. It even now associates with your spirituality, your religion, your your natural natural your ethnicity, your skin color, your your sexual preference. It's like all these aspects they play into it, and it really starts up you know mentally. It was like when we're coming into that environment, do we really want a diverse environment? Mm. Um, because when I think about it from building out a team, it's the diverse aspects about an individual that makes me want to have them come in. Because if there's too many similarities, if I'm going to build out a team which is just going to be a consistent voice of the same, in all aspects, right. then what's the point? Yeah. You know, you notice that those teams that are, it's not just diversity that you can see visibly. It's the true to heart diversity that comes about from a team that's built what I believe to be in a, in a proper fashion. You see how great they are, mm. and, it's, and it's rooted in that. So I don't know if I, I helped to talk yeah. about this yeah, specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you know where, where are you finding you draw inspiration from? You clearly have a lot of energy and passion. You know, so what, what's, what's sort of inspiring you? Absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of different areas that I that I find you know I get my motivation and my inspiration from number one I'm a huge huge sports fan we briefly <laughs> talked talked about it I'm a huge LeBron James fan um, even now even even now even now <laughs> you know you you gotta the one mention I'll say about LeBron is you, you gotta acknowledge how much difficulty it takes to come into the league at you know essentially as, as a teenager and take on the expectations that he did and to try to live up to a city that did, and it's particularly for an owner that didn't support him in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so he always gets a hat tip. Was I angry that he left? Sure. Um, now that he's in purple and gold, I still support him. I'm still uh, an avid fan. I watch all the games. I'm waiting for him to come back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm still kind of hoping that you know the Cleveland Cavaliers might pull off getting Zion Williamson. Uh, but uh, but in the same, um, huge fan. In terms of inspiration and motivation, there's there's a couple of guys. I think you got to you got to pull yourself to try to really push yourself forward, and, and with that within any any occupation, you're always trying to motivate yourself to take yourself to the next level. And I feel like, ironically, Kobe Bryant, in terms of uh, you know professional sports, this Mamba mentality, it's been great, and um, you know he really inspires individuals to really push themselves to the next level. Now, mm. is he? Is he overpowering for sure? Um, but when you think about somebody who's uh, operating the most elite of the elite, and then taking that and saying as an individual in my setting, high, the highest expectations for myself, he's one of those that I, I put out there. There's a number of others that I see within this space. Um, so I always try to grab little pieces of inspiration from different individuals. The other aspect to it is, is I think, putting yourself in a position to be receptive for the inspiration that's there mm. within the space that you are. And so I, I meditate. I meditate on a daily basis. Um, I practice something called Falun Gong. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. You guys are in New York. So I meditate every morning. And then I feel like it puts me in this baseline, this right position where then within the course of the day, that might be a complete roller coaster. And it's not that I can affect what happens outside of me. At least mm. I can prepare myself to be able to handle it well. Then there's these different aspects of inspiration that I pull in from that. And that's from being grounded in the right place. 
Gotcha, gotcha, cool. Um, what advice would you have to anyone entering the space? Yeah, you know, within this digital sphere, as the world has become more pure play and we're hitting our mobile, we could hit a button to get everything. Um, I think within the space, as, as people are either graduating from college or coming into the workplace, there can be this assumption that we want to hit pure play on our career. We want everything to have easy access. We want it to happen quickly. Yeah. Um, so in, in certain regards, it's actually good, of course, to find, well, what are the shortcuts? What, can, what are certain practices that you can go about to, to make that path, I guess, a bit more smooth? Mm. You know, I was having this conversation with one of the, uh, um, a family friend that works in Cleveland. He works in the banking industry. Just graduated, working for the first year. And I heard the echoes of what I what I experienced coming out of school, and basically, you know, he he didn't like the job that he's working at. He's working at a bank. He's at the headquarters. And he doesn't quite like the, you know, he doesn't feel like he ended up where he was supposed to coming out of college. And I'm like, well, you know, that's every one of us. So as I was going through this, describing this to him, I was talking to him about um, what the what the expression "cutting your teeth" when you cut your teeth on something. And I remember that it was either him, a family member, or even my own family member that asked me, well, what does that mean to cut your teeth? And I mean, like, it means, as you guys know, it means to really get, you know, get refined in terms of, like, some type of skill. But the irony of it is when you really go to the basic of what that expression is to cut your teeth, it's a child whose teeth are breaking through the mm -hmm. gums. It's not fun. It's painful. Mm. Um, and when you think about how, where we are in terms of our careers, how we ended up here, we don't really put as much thought to it, but when you say you cut your teeth, it's talking about those tough experiences that we had within our careers and how it, it sculpted us, it molded us. So my, my advice to anyone coming in the workplace or coming out of college or the like is, of course, go through and find out the best practices for everything. But in the same, don't be afraid of the pain, whether it's psychological, emotional, or the like. Those positions that you might take coming out initial in your initial years that might be so-called painful, either emotionally working with, you know, that bad boss or what have what have you, it actually ends up being fruitful. From from what I believe, mm. is that that's how you get cut. That's how you cut your teeth. That's how you become sculpted. That's how you become better at what will eventually be your career path. So. In some cases, I feel like we're saying no to the to the things that are kind of like arranged for us to do. That we're like, no, you know, we want the we want medicine to get better for our careers, but like we're like, no, I don't want that. Well, you know, that's going to make you better, but like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. So, so I, I just say, cut your teeth. You know, uh, take the pain. It's a good thing. You know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So. Um personal question about your phone and sort of how you live your 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 day-to-day -day. uh three apps on your phone that you use on a regular basis outside of email and calendar absolutely so <laughs> uh no i mean linkedin absolutely spotify for sure uh you know if i'm walking on the street i'm, I'm zoning <laughs> I'm we're, we're, we're on spotify now too so. you're on spotify <laughs> well uh, on another note i'm soundcloud just as well um, so I pull from both, okay. um, and I love SoundCloud as well. Um, I'm trying to think of Chris Blackburn runs the programmatic over there. Uh, I had to, uh, but um, you know that's great in terms of on the musical side. Um, trying to think of what else. What I don't have, I think, on my my phone is uh, I actually I don't have uh, I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. 
I did. I did uh, get rid of the, that particular app. Uh, <laughs> I have to go to LinkedIn when I don't go to Facebook. Um, there's a couple of other different apps that you know Expensify that might help help you within our particular field that mm. um, a lot of people like to use, and I I have begun using and. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty much all work in music. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us today. How can uh, how can people find you if you want to continue the discussion and connect with our listeners? Absolutely, my uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Amir Talai, or you can uh, of course you can email me at Amir dot at at slot dot com. So yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. There's a number of different ways you can find the podcast, uh, obviously at MinorityReportPodcast.com, uh, on SoundCloud at Minority Report Podcast, and now on Spotify as well. Of course, on Facebook and on Twitter at MinorityRPRTPOD. Thanks for listening. <laughs>